Good morning, church. Today's reading is from Genesis chapter 32. We'll be reading the whole chapter. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favour in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau and now he is coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats. 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you, then you are to say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him, and be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans. 
and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. What do you think life with God should look like? Uh, This, maybe? Or what about about this? Uh, Or what about that one? Or maybe this? This is actually a picture of two blokes at the annual Turkey Oil Wrestling wrestling Festival. And interestingly, this is more the picture we get from the Bible today, the passage that we're looking at today, of what it means for God to be with us. Where we'll see God is with his servant Jacob in his humility and weakness. And so, likewise, he is with us. So, firstly, God is with his servant Jacob. But let's orientate ourselves a little bit with the bigger story before we deep dive into the waters of chapter 32, which we just had read. From chapter 12, we've seen God make a bunch of promises to the man Abraham and to his descendants. Promises to make Abraham his name great, promises to make him into a great nation, promises to give him the land of Canaan, to ultimately promises to bless the whole world through him. And God has been coming good on these promises as we've been, as they've been passed down to Abraham's son, Isaac, and then to Isaac's son, Jacob. And it's here with Jacob that we see God's promises starting to be fulfilled. And along with them, Jacob's faith in God. Uh, From the outset, though, uh, he's been a bit of a slow starter on the whole faith journey. Uh, We wouldn't have picked him to carry on God's plans. The name Jacob means deceiver. Uh, And true to his name, he tricks his older brother out of his birthright. Although, let's face it, Esau is a little bit of a bullhead. But Jacob's not kind, he's mischievous, he he then doubles down on on the trickery, he pretends to be Esau with his blind father Isaac, so that Isaac blesses him with the family inheritance, normally reserved to the eldest son for Esau. And then he skips town on the heels of Esau's understandable rage. And the last words that we hear from Esau are from Genesis 27, where he says, The days when the days for mourning my father in the air, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Basically, Esau is saying, after, after Dad's dead, Jacob, I'm coming for you, mate. I'm out for blood. I'm not sure what else Jacob expected, but there you go. So, Jacob, he nicks off a con man without a cent to his name, but nonetheless, God's with him. He appears to him and tells him he's going to keep his promises to Abraham and Isaac through him. He ends up settling down in his uncle's estate, marries his two daughters, Leah and Rachel, amasses a fortune, sires a bunch of sons and one daughter, and then God appears to him again and tells him to go back to the land of his father, the land where murderous Esau is. But throughout this time, it seems Jacob... uh, his faith has become more of his own. He's trying less to make it through life and his own smarts and his own craftiness. He's relying more on what God's promised him and his father and his grandfather before him because he goes and obeys God 
that's the sign that he's, uh, his faith is maturing. He makes moves to go back to the land that God promised, as God told him to. Despite his uncle's protests and abuse, by God's grace, he outmaneuvers his uncle and sets his face to return to the promised land. And God is clearly with him in this. We see this chapter 32, uh, verse 1. With his uncle going on his way, Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Uh, when Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. The angels of God encamped here. It's actually God's army. And the idea of God's army meeting Jacob here is a little bit ambiguous. Uh, they come to meet him, marching perhaps. Uh, the, now angels in the Bible, they're not cute little cupid looking creatures with who strum harps and giggle bubbles. Uh, angels, angels, they're full on, they're, they're intimidating. Many accounts of people meeting angels in the Bible actually results with them uh, freaking out or falling down in fear. And so a whole army of these <laughs> angels marching towards you, well, that may have given Jacob a warm feeling, but only in as much as he might have peed his pants. As he says, this is the camp of God, or maybe he exclaims, the army of God! <laughs> this alerts Jacob and us that there's something big, something important that, that's about to go down. A few years ago, uh, Megs and I were on a holiday in Santorini, uh, enjoying the little streets with their exclusive shops and their eccentric owners with a bunch of other uh, tourists, when abruptly a fist of men, and I think that's the, kind of the best collective noun to describe them, a fist, because they're all big, broad men, all clad in protect, protective gear, you know, bristling with firearms and big boots, with each one of them a meaty knuckle of a man, you know, all uh, imposing and determined, exuding authority. Uh, people just automatically kind of stepped out of their way. They, they must have been some tactical police unit there to uphold the law, which is good, but they brought an air of uh, surprise and even danger to the space, uh, which is the sense of the angels of God here with Jacob. You know, they may be there to make sure God's plans come, come to pass through Jacob, but by the bristling kind of militariness of them, they, they bring an air of, of surprise and danger. Something important uh, is about to happen. And so Jacob and us, we need to be careful uh, where we tread in this story because although we may know God is with us precisely because God is with us and with his army uh, we need to be careful to keep up with him uh, paradoxically in humility and weakness as Jacob goes on to show which brings us to uh, the second point God is with Jacob in his humility and weakness after letting Esau know he's coming Jacob learns that Esau's actually coming out to meet him with 400 men. Um, understandably, he interprets that as, oh gosh, Esau was on the warpath. He freaks out, he scrambles to minimise the damage, he splits his camp in two, and then he desperately calls on God to save him. But in doing so, he, he reveals something of a change in himself. And praying this in verse 10, uh, I'm unworthy of all kindness, all the kindness and faithfulness that you've shown your servant. I had only a staff, my staff, when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, for, from the hand of my brother Esau. You said I'll surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea. Jacob, the heel, the trickster, the overreacher, the supplanter, he tells God here 
He's unworthy of all God's kindness and faithfulness to him so far. That the riches and progeny and the status that God's blessed him with, that, that, that he's grasped after, he, he knows he doesn't actually deserve. And that his future is truly in God's hands. It's like he's, he's clinging desperately under what God has promised him, while at the same time letting his grip ease a little bit on what God's already given him. Which, in turn... That seems to impact on the way that he approaches Esau in humility and respect. He, he calls Esau Lord. He, he sends him hundreds of goats and rams and camels and donkeys as a gift to, to pacify him. He hopes to come to him humbly and, and to be forgiven, as we're told in verse 20. Now, the original Hebrew in this verse could read something like, you know, Jacob thought to himself, oh, I will wipe the anger from his face, from Esau's face, with these gifts I'm sending on ahead. And, and later when I see his face, perhaps he will lift my face. So in thinking this, Jacob's admitting he's, he's wronged Esau, he's acknowledging there needs to be some gesture, some offering to wipe away the anger from Esau's face, so that when he humbly comes before him, face down, Hopefully, Esau will have forgiven him and accept him and lift his face up to him. Jacob knows God is powerfully with him as he returns to the land, that this is an important and serious moment, not just for Jacob, but for God as he approaches Esau. And so Jacob, Jacob's been careful, careful to humble himself before God and before Esau. I've been watching a few clips on YouTube recently of the, uh, the best auditions on Britain's Got Talent. Uh, there's a lot of pretty confident, pretty cocky performers who think they're God's gift to music, uh, but one singer stood out for me. Not just because she gave a, uh, a stunning, sultry performance of My Funny Valentine, but because she was just so humble and, and self-deprecating. Simon Cowell, he, he, the, one of the judges, his comments were telling. He said, I absolutely love you, and I love your voice, and I also love the fact that you actually don't even know how good you are. She endears herself as much by her humility as by her voice. And, and it's like Jacob is a return performer on the Genesis stage here. His previous acts have been okay, flashy and tricky and cocky, and he's got by, but with him coming back to the promised land with God's army, uh, you know, there things have just got real and he's dropped the act, he started singing from the same page as uh, that singer Alice Frednam from uh, Britain's Got Talent which has given him an edge a powerful, authentic edge to be humble but there's more God's not only with him in his humility he's powerfully with him in his weakness a weakness that God forces on him in a wrestle in the dark this is a this is a fantastic part of the story. If I were making a film of this whole story, up to this point I had a, a, a building movement or momentum of music to a montage of Jacob sending word to his soul, frantically mobilising his household, desperately praying, organising the gifts of animals to, the, to go ahead, sending off his wives and possessions, and then the music would cut to a long shot of him standing alone in the dark as a, shadow, a shadowy figure of a man strides into scene and then wrestles him to the ground. And all we hear are the grunts and strains and dust and dirt fleeing and bodies rolling around. It's weird to think that as a man, God did this with Jacob. Now, clearly, he's got no problem with getting down in the dirt with the, the people that he made, which of course we see preeminently with Jesus in Jesus. 
Uh, he came as a baby in the muck to be intimately and intensely in the flesh with people. Clearly God wants this with Jacob, this intense, intimate, drawn-out wrestle with him. But if that's not surprising enough, then we're told God sees he can't overpower Jacob. A few years ago now, when I was helping out at youth on a Friday night, uh, one of the games was sock wrestling. Uh, the idea is there's uh, two people with one sock on one foot each, and it's the person who can get the sock off the other person, uh, off their foot, uh, who wins. And I was partnered up uh, with one of the other leaders, uh, Simon Wood. Hey Simon, if you're watching. Uh, for those who don't know, Simon, he's far about six foot, um, million inches tall, and he's something of a unit. Uh, he's so strong, Chuck Norris tells jokes about him. Now, I ended up getting his sock off first in our wrestle, but uh, only because he's just so polite and um, he let me. Uh, and I reckon in the same way, uh, I wonder if it's just God playing weak with Jacob. You know, maybe as a man, God deliberately constrains himself to, to the normal limitations of man and plays to the rules of wrestling. But once he sees Jacob's determination and natural indomitable spirit, he steps outside the rules uh, to put his hip out with just a touch, a little bit like uh, Jesus did in, on numerous occasions, stepping outside the normal rules to touch and heal and people and raise the dead. Only here, God injures Jacob with his touch so that he'd let go, so that he'd let him go before daybreak, um, presumably to stop him seeing him face to face and dying. But Jacob won't let go. He must sense that God's in this somehow, and so he prays, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so uh, God is is this man blesses him, not without a confession though. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. From the day of his birth, Jacob's name has been linked to deception. He's, he's the heel, the trickster, the overreacher, the supplanter. He, and here it's like he's owning this. He's admitting who he is. Guilty, as named. That he's grasped and snatched his way through life at the expense of others. And so he knows he doesn't deserve God's blessing. He knows it's not his by right, but only by God's promise. And so he's desperate for God to keep his word. And he won't let him go until God keeps his word. And God honours that. But only as he receives it with a new name. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and overcome. I heard Charlie Pickering on the ABC show the other night uh, talk about his conversion to Judaism. He pointed to the name Israel, uh, meaning to struggle with God, as describing his attitude towards faith in God, that he, he struggles with whether there is a God or not, but that's not the struggle Jacob's having here, or, or the struggle the name Israel describes. Because as Israel, Jacob has overcome. His relationship with God is, is not a question about whether God exists, but about knowing him more. Uh, Jacob dares to go on and, and ask God his name. You know, Jacob said, please tell me your name. But the man replied, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, or face of God saying, 
It's because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. Uh, Jacob wasn't sure how Esau would receive him, but he's pretty sure how God should have by taking his life. But wonderfully, instead, in weakness and humility, Jacob clings to God and gets more than just to keep his life and a blessing. He gets a new name and with it, a new identity. He's a new man, in one sense, with a new limb. He gets to hobble into the promised land that God clearly ends up giving his descendants. As we see, the end of the chapter there, the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his, of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. God's with Jacob. In his humility and in his weakness, indeed, his new identity as God's man destined for blessing in the promised land is intrinsically linked to his weakness, to dislocated hip, to his limp. To be an Israelite is to, to humbly limp into God's blessings. Indeed, to be one of God's people anywhere is to humbly limp into God's blessings. Yes, which, which brings us to our final point. As God was with Jacob, so he is with us in our humility and in our weakness. See, Israel is a shadow of the way God fulfilled his promise to bring blessing through suffering, to bring a new power in weakness. Jacob is a type of the way God deals with his chosen servants. And in Jesus we see the anti-type. You know, Jacob's kind of a footnote to something we see kind of writ large in Jesus. He's a snow cone of the opera house to the actual opera house, which is Jesus. Because in Jesus we see God's greatest servant, who, like Jacob, obeyed God to get to the new promised land, which is the new heavens and the new earth, to get there, though he humbled himself as a servant. He suffered the greater injury of crucifixion, and because of this, God rose him from the dead. He exalted him to the highest place, where he now prepares a place for all those who believe in him, who, like Jacob, uh, would have a limp on their way there. As the Apostle Paul can say of himself, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing great revelations that God had given him, uh, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Like Jacob, Paul knew the painful touch of God that caused him to limp on in God's grace on his way to glory. But, but he learned to see and even delight in his limp, in his weaknesses, in his hardships and difficulties. As God's, he saw them as God's severe mercy because he saw they were opportunities to cling only unto God, uh, to let go of the other things and to look only to God and know the sufficiency of his grace in Christ and, and to just live with the limp, to limp on in the new power of humility as Jacob learned to do and as we should learn to do as well. When COVID first hit and we went into lockdown, I got quite stressed. Uh, I'd wake up 
day after day, worrying about any number of things, from slight hay fever symptoms to how all the people and things at church were going to how many poor, more people in the world were getting sick and, and dying and it was just spreading. And I don't think I ever blamed God for it all, but I was certainly just uh, waiting for it all to finish. You know, and I guess I'm still waiting in some sense, like it's just a blip to get over before we resume doing life like it should be done, you know, like we envisioned God would actually want it for us. But, but what if that blip, that whole COVID thing, was God with us? And the limp that it gave all of us in one way or another was actually God's severe mercy to us, you know, painfully touching us so that we'd cling less to the things of this world that clearly were not saving us or helping us and, and would desperately cling to him, to God in prayer for his promised blessings in Christ. I mean, it must be since... God is with us in Christ that all our weaknesses and our struggles and our hardships and our depression and our doubt uh, are not firstly a sign of his displeasure or rejection of us or even of his ailing of an ailing or weak faith but rather of God's severe mercy to us that he's allowed them on us so that we might turn in humility towards him and others and cling to him desperately uh, for nothing less than his promised blessings in Christ. So much so that we're in a, a new space with God where we daringly ask to know him more and more through Christ. It's interesting that through the lockdown stress, uh, I began in earnest to regularly read the Psalms and then turn them into my own prayers. Not because I thought I should, but because uh, when I couldn't be sure of anything else around me, um, I could be sure of knowing God more and more in those Psalms. It seems COVID then was actually God's severe mercy to me as I pressed into knowing him more during those hard times, as I, the times that I limped through, am limping through. I wonder what it is that uh, we're struggling with at the moment, that perhaps we might now see is God's severe mercy to us, a, a sign of his presence that he is with us, and that contrary to popular thinking, it's, it's evidence that God is with us, so that we might be able to uh, accept it and uh, limp along towards glory uh, in a new space with God, daring to know him more and more in Christ. And to that end, I'm going to uh, lead us in prayer now. Gracious Heavenly Father, please help us uh, in our walk with you to remember that like your dealings with Jacob, you demonstrated your strength through his humility and weakness. Please help us as we trust in the Lord Jesus, our crucified Saviour, to accept the struggles and the hardships in this life as opportunity to humble ourselves and to trust in your strength and know that your grace is sufficient for us, such that we might 
confidently limp along on our way to your promised glory in Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.